0: Hello and welcome to another podcast episode of A Guy With Books. And I'm that guy, and my name is Don, and I'm also your host. And I'm just finishing up a incredible Irish tea this morning. And, uh, you know, I, I've just been addicted to this type of tea. And, you know, it, it's really nice to have it when reflecting on books and things like that. In the early morning hours. I mean, I get up, as you know, around five every morning, maybe even a little earlier. And today, I'm kind of reminding myself or reflecting on my traveling, you know, uh, pre-COVID. And one of the places that I hold near to my heart is a place called Banff. That's B-A-N-F-F. And if you've never been there, I tell you, it's one of the most beautiful places to visit on this earth. Banff is a resort town in the province of Alberta, and it's located uh, within Banff National Park. And I tell you, it's it's simply amazing. The Rocky Mountain Peaks are incredible to see. The peaks of uh, Mount Rundle as well as the uh, uh, Mount Cascade dominate the skyline. And there's this place on Banff Avenue. And I tell you, th- this whole little town is is almost like something you would see, um, you know, with full of chateaus and things like that. It, it actually has, along its main thoroughfare, all these quaint and cozy shops and boutiques and restaurants, as well as, as I said, chateau-style uh, uh, ho- hotels and uh, souvenir shops. And all of this is surrounded by 2000 plus miles of parkland that are home to some of the, uh, most incredible wildlife you can ever see. And, uh, I, I can tell you that, you know, when we were traveling up through, um, the national park, we actually had elk come right up to the vehicle. And, you know, th- this is also the land the, of great grizzly bears and, and so much more. And, And one of the final memories, and I encourage you to really kind of go and check this out, look it up on Google, is Lake Louise, okay? Lake Louise is another truly breathtaking site, and it is known for its turquoise water. And you can see clear to the bottom, it's crystal clear, it is you know, refreshing just to look at it, you know, and I'm I'm sure it's extremely cold to get in. And, you know, there were a few kayakers and and so on, you know, out enjoying the lake, but it is one of the flu, uh, one of the few glacier fed lakes. And so I encourage you to check that out. So why am I talking about travel today? Well, it reminds me of one of my favorite writers of all time. His name is Hemingway. And one of my favorite books by Hemingway is A Movable Feast. And you might be asking yourself, okay, where did this title come from? What did Hemingway mean by A Movable Feast? And, you know, it's it's metaphoric. You know, the the term Movable Feast was used by Hemingway to mean the memory of a splendid place that continues to go with you or with the traveler, for the rest of your life, even when it's gone away. And it never leaves your heart. It never leaves your mind. It is always with you. And so, today we're going to talk about Hemingway and a movable Feast. If you're new to the podcast, let me first take a moment and just introduce myself. I'm a, a business executive, as well as... I'm a husband and father, and, you know, I collect a lot of things. Uh, First of all, I love old art, paintings, uh, uh, classic movies, and I'm also a collector of, like, antiques. I collect Edison phonographs with wax cylinders. I collect old, smelly books from the 1800s. And I collect tin types, you know there's old creepy tin types from like the Civil War period, as old photographs, as well as old cameras. And I also collect things like estate pipes, and one of my favorites actually a cob pipe uh, from Missouri, and it's actually a, a cob pipe uh, smoking pipe that's very similar to what um, Mark Twain had. But then also it's very very similar to um, the one that. Um, Hemingway had used a few times as well. And you've seen a couple of pictures of that, but, uh, I'd like to thank Jake Hendricks who reached out to me on Instagram because he said, you know, Don, when you're doing your podcast and you know, you, you, you have your pipe there, you know, don't be afraid to smoke it. And it's not really smoking and you're just kind of taking in the delicious taste of the tobacco. And you're blowing it out, and it 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 makes the studio here smell amazing. And so today, in honor of Hemingway, I am taking a puff. There you go. And this is Captain Black pipe tobacco cherry. Again, I'm addicted to the cherry scent. You know the aroma, the how it fills this space. And so, as you probably know from my podcast intro, I'd like to talk a bit about Hemingway and particularly his book, A Moveable Feast, published around 1964. And the closest Hemingway ever came to writing a memoir was A Moveable Feast. And this is where he reflected on his time of living in Paris as a struggling writer with his first wife, Hadley Richardson, and their son, Jack, or, you know, as he referred to him as Bumby. I've explored many of Hemingway's works, and I simply love this particular book uh, for, for both his deep exploration of, of writing and his writing about beloved Hadley, which he believed to be his one true love of his life, despite or perhaps in spite of wives two, three, And four. There's plenty to talk about in this classic book. Hemingway's memories of his life as an unknown writer living in Paris in the 20s are deeply personal, warmly affectionate, and full of wit. Looking back not only at his own much younger self, but also all of the other writers or friends who shared Paris with him, James Joyce, Wyndham Lewis, F. Scott, and Zelda Fitzgerald. Uh, He recalls the the time when poor, happy, and writing in cafes, he discovered his vocation, his passion for writing. And it was written, this book, during the last years of Hemingway's life. His memoir is lively and powerful, and it's a reflection of his genius, as well as his romance and love for the city. And so talking about this reminds me of a movie uh, that I watched recently. It's it's midnight in Paris. You may have seen it. It was written and directed by Woody Allen. I don't want to give too much away, but we meet Gil Pender who is played by Owen Wilson And he is a screenwriter and an aspiring novelist. And of course, he's vacationing in Paris with his fiancee, who is um, uh, Rachel McAdams. And, uh, you know, he was taken to, you know, really kind of touring the city alone because she was always busy doing her own thing. And, you know, it's he would he would tour the city at night, late at night. And so. On one such late night excursion, Gil encounters a group of, yeah, strange yet familiar revelers who sweep him along, apparently back in time, for a night with some of the jazz ages uh, icons of art and literature. You know, some of the folks I mentioned to you earlier. And the more time Gil spent with these cultural heroes of the past, the more dissatisfied he becomes with the present. Okay. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, I do this a lot. You know, I'm off topic again, but okay. Back to it. Before we dive into a movable feast, let's learn a little bit more about Mr. Hemingway. Okay. If you have a pipe, you know, you got to keep puffing on it, you know, in certain intervals or it's going to go out. So I got to take one. All right. So I got to, boy, that cherry is Fantastic. Okay. So Ernest Hemingway was born in 1899. His father was a doctor and he was the second of six children. Again, you know, families were huge back in the day. Their home was in Oak Park, a Chicago suburb. In 1917, Hemingway joined the Kansas City Star as just a a young cub writer. And the following year, he volunteered as an ambulance driver. on on the Italian front, where he was badly wounded, but decorated for his service. I mean, he loved battle. He loved war. uh, He loved being right in the thick of it. And he returned to America in 1919, and he married in 1921. In 1922, he reported on the uh, Greco-Turkish War before resigning from journalism to devote himself to fiction. He settled in Paris where he renewed his earlier friendships with such fellow Americans as, you know, Urza Pound and, uh, of course, Gertrude Stein. You know, he talks a lot about Gertrude in the book that we're going to share. Their encouragement and criticism were to play a part, a valuable part, in the formation of his overall writing style. Hemingway first two published works were three stories and 10 poems and in our time. But it was the satirical novel, The Torrents of Spring, that established his name more widely. His international reputation was firmly secured by his next three books, Fiesta, Men Without Women, and one of my favorites, A Farewell to Arms. He was passionately involved, as I had mentioned, in a lot of violent activities, a lot of masculine activities, uh, such as bullfighting, big game hunting, and deep sea fishing. And his writing reflects this and is able to share it in such a passionate way. He visited Spain during the Civil War and described his experiences in the bestseller, For Whom the Bell Tolls. That's a must read as well. His direct and very simple style of writing spawned generations of imitators, but none of them are equal. Recognition for his position in contemporary literature came in 1954 when he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature, following the publication of, again, a classic, The Old Man in the Sea. Hemingway died, unfortunately, of... Suicide when it was, let's see, it was 1961 when he passed away. And so today we're going to take a look and we're going to learn about this book, A Movable Feast. And Hemingway said to a close friend If you are lucky enough to have lived in Paris as a young man, then wherever you go for the rest of your life, It stays with you, for Paris is a movable feast. This quote that I just read, it greets you when you open the book for the first time. So let's dive in. And how am I going to talk about this book? I mean, I really can't kind of go through and summarize it. Instead, what I want to do is I'm going to pull some of the greatest quotes. And so here are 15 gems from Hemingway's a movable feast. Enjoy. You expected to be sad in the fall. Part of you died each year when the leaves fell from the trees and their branches were bare against the wind and the cold, wintry light. But you knew there would always be the spring, as you knew the river would flow again after it was frozen. When the cold rains kept on and killed the spring, it was as though a young person died for no reason. Never go on trips with anyone you do not love. When spring came, even the false spring, there were no problems except where to be happiest. The only thing that could spoil a day was people. And if you could keep from making engagements, each day had no limits. People were always the limiters of happiness, except for the very few that were as good as spring itself. We would be together and have our books and at night be warm in bed together with the windows open and a starry bright. We ate well and cheaply and drank well and cheaply and slept well and warm together and loved each other. But Paris was a very old city and we were young and nothing was simple there, not even poverty, nor sudden money, nor the moonlight, nor right or wrong, nor the breathing of someone who lay beside you in the moonlight. I've seen you, beauty, and you belong to me now. Whoever you are waiting for, and if I never see you again, I thought, you belong to me and all Paris belongs to me, and I belong to this notebook and this pencil. They say the seeds of what you will do are in all of us, but it always seems to me that in those who make jokes in life, the seeds are covered with better soil and also with a higher grade of manure. When you have two people who love each other, are happy and gay and really good work is being done by one or both of them. People are drawn to them as surely as migrating birds are drawn to the to at night to a peaceful beacon. If the two people were as solidly constructed as their beacon, there would be little damage except to the birds. Those who attract people by their happiness and their performance are usually inexperienced. They do not know how not to be overrun and how to go away. They do not always learn about the good, the attractive, the charming, the soon beloved, the generous, the understanding rich, who have not bad qualities and who give each day the quality of festival, and who, when they have passed and taken the nourishment they needed, leave everything dearer than the roots of any grasses that horus's hooves have ever scoured. She did not like to hear really bad nor tragic things, but no one does. And having seen them, I don't care to talk about them unless she wanted to know how the world was going. She wanted to know the gay part of how the world was going. Never the real, never the bad. There are two places in the world where we can live happy at home and in Paris. Drinking wine was not a snobism nor a sign of sophistication, nor a cult. It was as natural as eating, and to me, as necessary. For a poet, he threw a very accurate milk bottle. (laughs) People were always the limiters of happiness, except for the very few that were as good as spring themselves. It was young and not gloomy, and there were always strange and comic things that happened in the worst time. I just love his writing style. Uh, Well, these quotes that I shared were taken from a book in my personal collection titled A Movable Feast by Scribner's and Sons Publishers, and um, my edition is from 1964. And so I just want to say thank you for joining me for the Guy with Books podcast. I hope you enjoyed our time together today talking about travel, talking about pipes, talking about Hemingway. And I will be back soon with another interesting nugget that you can share with your friends. Be sure to visit me on Instagram at leader at Work. And also at Books and Time, it's a small bookstore that I run on Instagram, or on Facebook at www.facebook.com donald.mast10, or just type in Don Mast, you'll find me. Or be sure to check me out on Twitter, at Leader at Work. So I say goodbye, have a blessed day, and be safe.